In this episode of the podcast, I spoke with John, and John runs a few businesses. Uh, he's got some properties, tree surgery business, but we predominantly got together to talk about mental health and anxiety, and then that mixed into some do's and don'ts, the pros and cons of businesses, and I had a bit of a rant about woodland management, and, and it was a very productive conversation. I really enjoyed it, and at the end, John discussed five books that he recommends everybody reads and his reasons why i hope you enjoyed listening i really enjoyed talking to john hello welcome to the david watson podcast how are you yeah i'm fantastic good to be here thank you yeah no it's good to speak to you again and uh so just for reference henry do you want to tell everyone who you are Okay, my name is Henry Guyburn. Um, I live in Southampton um, and I run um, four different businesses, a tree surgery business and some property businesses. And originally the reason um, I reached out to you was an introduction from my friend Zoe. Um, sure. And you and I covered a lot of that just in a private conversation about you know how, how you cope with stress, what happens when it all goes wrong, how patient your wife is and um, <laughs> yeah which is a, a private joke for everybody but it's on another podcast which uh where Henry yeah. refers to his wife as being stubborn <laughs> um <laughs> one of the things from the last conversation i wanted to talk to you a little bit more about is the the organization only is it is that correct yeah 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 only networking yeah um, yeah i mean that, that's run by um a couple called james and kelly west um, they've um, created a networking group um, with just a fantastic culture. Um, it's um, it's great to be a part of it. Um, there's lots of different networking groups out there, obviously. That's where I've done BNI and lots of different things. Um, but the difference with James and Kelly's networking is is that it really is about the people and the relationships and the collaborations and things like that. Whereas quite a lot of the other ones just seem to be about the numbers, and you know I'm not naive enough to think that numbers don't run the run businesses. But there's also when you're wanting to to in in business, one of the key things is building relationships, and and that's what only really does and drive. And actually, it was um uh, they do socials, and through the pandemic when we were locked down, I got asked to go on a social and talk about my business going under. And that's what really it was, it was. They do a night called Fess Ups, which actually I now actually run, um, and, and I'm a host for Fess Ups. So I did the full circle. I was a guest on Fess Ups, and then they asked me to be a host with the lovely Katie Newman. Um, so I went on there, and then I talked about my my business going under, um, and I had about 30 people in tears at one point and then pure joy at the next point. And it was a really, really good place for me to be able to open that out. And then the words of um, encouragement I got after that, people telling me I'm inspiration. I'm like, well, I don't feel like I'm inspiration. And it was really kind of some healing for me to be able to get that out there. And then obviously then hear how people perceive me in my journey um, and how I talked about it. Um, which is a really it's a really great thing because most networking you go into it's very much this is you put your face on you know people talk about putting makeup on you put your face on you know very much networking is you know this is my business this is what's really positive about it and this is what happens and 
fess up tonight was about more about actually this is what happens when business goes wrong um but all the stories that we have on there and people on there there's usually what what goes wrong and then the great bit of what how people dealt with it and some real true inspirational times of people really in the trenches and then the determination and they've all got a similar thing people's attitude of never giving up and the determination that then pulls them through to then into successful periods of their life so so yeah it's a it's a great networking group and it's fantastic to be part of it and just by happy coincidence that really leads me to a very easy point so so how did you get involved in that what happened to you i couldn't have planned that better really could i <laughs> it's sort of in what context with me uh, and, yeah and so the business. story of how yeah. your business went under and how yeah. you recovered and come back you know because it, it from the because to kind of give some people some context in the previous conversation, uh, Henry and I discussed how we got into a position we were in, but how cathartic we found it when we were talking to people about how bad our life had been and the kind of the, the traumas that we had to come out of to get over those uh, out of those trenches. And um, one of the things that you and I both found in common was that rather than feeling embarrassed and humiliated by it, the the talking about our mental health and how that affected us um, actually became quite cathartic in itself. Yeah, definitely. I feel very fortunate that I'm I'm a, I'm a vocal person. And I always have been, and I talk about everything. Sometimes talk too much. I've had to certainly <laughs> lo- learn a lot how to try and you know condense down the things that I say and not go into massive stories and tell everyone that I opened a door, then picked up a teacup <laughs> and all those sorts of things, which my wife has helped me with as well, with her patience. Um, and, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I feel just before I talk about my story, just to talk about that and to emphasise on that, because we've both talked about mental health. I mean, I'd say to anybody that is suffering from mental health to just go and talk to somebody, anybody that they feel comfortable with, because talking about it, I used to have a, um, a, a girl called a vet that used to work for me. who was very spiritual, great, great um, lady. And she always said, Henry, the thing, the thing I think the reason why you deal with things really well is because you would just talk about your problems. And I find it, you know, really easy to talk about my problems. And I think, you know, men and women, but especially men with the issues we've been having around men, committing suicide and those rates like I always say to people if you could just talk to somebody you know if you could just mm. talk and get that out then that problem is so much it just doesn't make doesn't solve it but it certainly lifts us a bit of it and just doing that so I just wanted to emphasize on that before I jump into my story the importance of people yeah. talking because it is it is it's such a huge thing if we could just get you know a certain percentage of 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 people that are struggling with mental health and different issues to talk, then I think that could unlock and hopefully save a few lives along the way. Yeah, I agree. So my story, and I'll tr- again, talk about stories, I'll try and condense it down. Um, and please jump in if, if you feel free to any time. So I left school, failed all my GCSEs, um, and then went out and was told that because I like socialising more sports, I should be a a customer service advisor, um, which I went and did. Um, Worked in an office, different jobs, Barclays Bank and car sales and different things like that. Um, And then I was just staring out a window a lot and thinking, I just really want to, I just really want to be outside. So fortunately, um, my best friend's brother had some vacancies that a company was working for and I trained to be a tree surgeon. my dad had always brought me up to uh, it, it, it with a sort of, and my mum, to think about running businesses. They 
ran a restaurant and then they went and did other things. My dad's run different businesses whilst flipping homes where we spent a lot of time living in caravans and different things where he did all the work himself. Um, so when I started tree surgery, I was just told everybody I want to start my own business. Um, and a guy um, called John Parrington, he um, met me in a pub in Four Marks called The Checkers um, and said, look, we, um, we, we want to go into business with you. Um, we'll subcontract to you and you start a business up. And that was back in 2008. At the time, I was living with my wife, um, and um, we could get by because the crash happened of Northern Rock, and it did, I was 24 years old. We then grew the business over five years um, to about 10 people. Um, I always had an ethos of looking after the, after the staff. That's what I always wanted, um, is to have a, a staff-centered business, because I believe that looking after your staff in turn will just, they'll look after their clients. One, it makes you sleep well at night because you mm -hmm. know you're doing the right thing. And secondly, people just then generally care and passionate about their work. Um, I always had this drive to just never wanna just sit on my hands and do nothing. So I was always working all hours and we then grew the business to 47 staff. So it, it went from 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 and upwards, which was, which was great. Um, and I was trying to do everything the right way, uh, not do anything, you know, everything right, health and safety, you know, having admin managers, doing, doing the right thing. Um, but to the point the year before it went under, I had done it all without any other education. So when, and the reason why I mentioned about my failing my GCSEs when I left school, I just went, oh, I don't do learning. I cut that off. You know, learning had failed me. School had failed me. I wasn't interested in school anymore. So um, I didn't do any learning. So when the business started getting into trouble about a year before it actually went under, I started searching, thinking, oh, I, I thought this a couple of years ago. We were making lots of money, and this was really good. And now what's going wrong? What am I doing wrong? And there must be more. What do I need to learn? And I started looking, and people started talking about coaching and getting mentors and things like that. So I got a coach, a um, guy called Jeff Shrimpton, and the first thing he did to me is said, you need to read this book. I said, no, no, I don't do reading. I don't do reading. No, 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 you need to read this book. If we're going to work together, you need to show some commitment, and we, I need you to read this book. It was One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey, um, and it's all about managing people. And at that point, I had this epiphany moment. I read this book, and I realised that I was the guy in the cake, the guy that was disempowering my staff. My staff would always say, oh, there's a reason why you're the boss, Henry. You know, there's a, there's a, you know, the, and, and I do these things for people, realising that every time I reverse a trailer into the yard, they weren't learning to reverse a trailer into the yard themselves. Every time I fix someone's computer, they weren't learning to fix it themselves. And I was 47 staff, you're disempowering everybody. Every time I went on a holiday, the company just crashed because it couldn't cope without me. And I just built this big monster that needed me to be the center of it and put 80, 90 plus hours, probably more a week into it. So when Jeff came in, the business was too far down the line to, to recover. We tried recovering it over a year and doing lots of different things, but ultimately the business failed. Um, and I had to take a lot of accountability for that, um, which was, it's a really, um, it's a really hard pill to swallow. When I met Jeff, my coach, he used to say to me about um, accountability, responsibility, 
for your actions and for the business. Um, you know, you used to call it above and below the line. Above the line was that, and below the line was excuses and uh, and and not being accountable and uh, and you know not turning up. And above the line was being accountable. Um, and when the business went under really staring down the barrel at a business going under you want to blame naturally blame everybody else we had a terrible client we had staff that sort of didn't buy into the culture you know all these different things but it's like when um someone wants to get injured on a building site when they do a root and health and safety investigation happens they do a root cause analysis it always goes back up to the director of that company it always goes back up to the top that it's their fault right so we had to sit there and go well it's you know, it's my fault. I need to be accountable. And I didn't get the power of accountability until the business went under because if I'd have blamed everybody else, I would have remained ignorant and I wouldn't have learned. And I would, and I would have gone and started another business and I probably would have been two years down the line and be in a similar position. Now, I'm not saying I learned the world in that time um, and I still have got a lot to improve on myself now but holding myself accountable at the time when the business went under um, was the best thing I could have done because it then put the stepping stones in for me to accept that I I, I didn't perform yeah. as a manager as a director that I needed to learn more um, and I needed to develop from there. So explain to people what then happened to your business. So um, we restarted um, at a lot smaller scale. So we, we basically had to start a new business. Um, and um, the, the, I learned a lot about insolvency, but you can then buy the old business with a new business. But I, I, I'm not the director of the business. My wife's the director of the business. Um, and we started, um, started trading again. Um, but we had to lay off our um our team we had 30 by this point because we'd downscaled from 47 over the time that it going under we then had to lay off down to nine staff and really start from scratch really basics again um and i had to spend all the, uh, the sort of the next year on the phone being a sales guy and really promoting and pushing the business forward and really just being in the trenches with the guys and just getting getting by um, we had poor quality of kit we were just really really on the bones at that point just trying to build up a business again um, and we did that and we're now two years on um, with two years of profit um, six 17 staff um, and it was just a really nice comfortable size of, of a good company that's still got a lot to work on we're still building the foundations but we're building the foundations of the business properly this time without just going too fast too quickly without the right necessary bits in place it is isn't it because it's people don't you know and i've learned this and i'm still learning that that you know i've worked for some very successful companies but when they're at a large scale you don't really kind of see what's involved and sometimes when you listen to, listening to a one minute influencer on Instagram, it can be very deceiving with what they say, because, you know, they'll say to you to be an entrepreneur, to be a business person, to be this, you've got to put in a thousand hours, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And there's a right way of doing that and a very wrong way of doing that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you could put a thousand hours. I mean, probably before the business went under, I was putting thousands of hours over the 10 years into that. But I was just working in the inside the business as somebody else within the business, 
trying to do everything and I don't know what percentage of hours, not I didn't waste, but if I had had the mindset I do now where I try and use as many people as possible so I can concentrate on working on the business and creating a better business, then, you know, as you say, it's, it's using those hours in the right way and you can certainly lose a lot of time and in, in, in hours and, and trying to structure a business right. And it isn't, it's not easy, um, but you definitely need to be having some time to work on a business to create the foundations of a business to be able to scale it. You said something earlier as well, I think that people really underestimate when, especially when it comes to hiring, is you need to get rid of people. You, you didn't say this, but it's, it's getting the, the right people in to do mm. the job, you know, and like you said, you know, it, it doesn't matter if the person's role is to answer the phone. If they hate the company or they hate turning up, you need to get rid of them long before that probation period's over. Yeah, well, it's the most difficult thing about business is managing people. And, you know, as you say, you want people to be in your business that want to be there, be part of it, be a team. Um, and we spent a lot of time in the last two years since the business restarted working on the culture, having some core values, having a vision um, and making sure that our team align with those and, and understand those. And, and we all work as, as a team and you can get one one bad egg in a company who will just bring other people down. Um, you know, negativity breeds negativity, unfortunately. And it is a challenge to keep everyone positive. And you do get, a, uh, there is a lot of issues with people with mental health, which we have so much empathy for. Um, and that's where we need to be ensure that we have the duty of care for our team and, and people are, you know, if someone is negative and things aren't going right, before we just say, mm, you're a bad egg, but you're off. We need to get to the bottom of, you know, why Why is this person, you know, really good and was really good and part of our values and not. And sometimes it's deeper, deeper than, than they're just not enjoying their job. Things happen. And again, going back to the original thing we were talking about with people talking, not everyone's open to talking, especially when you're in a, a macho male environment, which tree surgery mainly is. There's not many tree women tree surgery, and that's not a choice of my own. That is just the way it is. And yeah, I, I hate when... to because you don't know this. I am actually a former tree surgeon. Okay. All right. I see. You. Uh, I learned something every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just, just for, it's a genetics, you know, um, tree surgery is heavy work. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And um, I've, I've employed, we've had a, a female tree surgeon before and she was great, a girl called Sophie, she was fantastic. Um, but th there's not many. So when you're in that environment, people don't necessarily want to talk about their mental health um, and show signs of weakness because you get you know, the band to the side chat, all these kind of things. So, so yeah, it, it, it's trying to get that balance between, yeah, you've got a bad egg you know, move on, sorry, or actually let's just try and get to the root of this first. And then if we just realize that they're just not up for it or they're not into it, yeah. then, you know, that that's it. So it's, it's a really fight, difficult balance to manage people and get things right. But ultimately, if it, the way I see it is if we can lead with, and then try and inspire our staff and lead with the vision and the right values, then that hopefully will push everyone on and, and they'll people give people feel like something they want to belong to and they'll see a vision of, of where they want to be. You know, we want to be the best company to work for um, that looks after its staff and that also in turn looks after the environment. And and some people will go say to me, but you're a tree surgery business, you cut down trees, how do you look after the environment? Well, you can because there's most of our work is for health and safety. 
Um, you know, some of it's because someone wants some more light in their garden, but the majority of it is because of health and safety. Um, and we pay into um, uh, getting trees planted. So we pay a monthly amount of money and that puts a certain amount of trees in the ground every month because we want to make sure that we are, you know, we are doing our bit. So that that's our vision. And if people want to be part of that and then they can see the core values of business, then hopefully that brings everyone up. So we are continually having a good team that are working in but the right direction. Also, when people talk about um, with tree surgeons and the environment, uh, look into, then I would suggest people look into traditional coppicing and traditional hedge yeah. laying. Yeah. Yeah, because there's nothing more environmental friendly than coppicing trees for fuel and hedge laying for boundaries. Well, this is it. And we've had, we're doing a project for Southampton Airport and they've had a lot of um, resistance from local groups. And there's a woodland that they own that we need to do a woodland management plan on. And what that basically means is that they need to remove some trees um, and they're going to do it via a woodland management plan, which is going to take out the non-native trees which means the native trees like your oaks and your beeches have light to grow. It means that more insects come in because the the sycamores um, take over, overgrow, yeah. and it means that no light gets into the woodland and, it, it, and things like butterflies and insects and everything stop coming in. Oak trees can't grow. And we they've put this great plan and they've got a, a very good environmentalist to put this plan together, but they're getting resistance from Joe Public and yeah. protesters saying you're going to ruin the woodland, but actually it's going to really rejuvenate <laughs> the woodland. So you're right, it, there is there's lots of good practices that you could do that are morally sound. Uh, yeah, I mean to give people some context, um, tree surgery these days um, is based on the practices of good sound arboriculture which is more yeah. than just, which is <clears throat> all about uh, the protection and health, health of trees. And depending on who, which school of thought you, you go down, there's either, I think it's 29 or 31 native trees to the UK. So anything outside of that is technically an invasive species. And I'm trying to really think about what I learned back in the day. Um, Ooh, it's good. I'm impressed. Like this, yeah. I did not expect this on today's podcast. Hey. You're a... A dark guy. horse, I tell you, there's a dark horse. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> um, thing, things like your sycamore trees, um, which if I remember correctly, your, your, your basic sycamore, for those that don't know, that that's a maple really, um, they yeah. only support about two species of insects, where something like a traditional oak, whether it be a Quercus robur or a Quercus rubar, would be, um, which is the difference between a sessile oak and a pendular oak there's no such thing as an english oak for those that yeah. didn't know there you go see it's all coming back slowly but they can support up to like 500 species of insects moths and butterflies and it's yeah. the management of those trees that is really important for our environment and the other thing that people don't understand is that traditionally there were animals within the europe and the united kingdom would graze on these trees and with the lack of those, and, and yeah, and things like just wild boar that would dig them up when they were still saplings and stuff like that. So there was a natural rotation of plant life that where where they would get taken out in different layers, and mature trees would eventually fall. So if you don't introduce that in a man-made way, that's how you get poor management of woodlands. 
I couldn't have said it better myself, David. You know, you've absolutely just smashed that out of the park. And Thank you. If, if, every, if everybody knew that, then it would make, you know, our life a lot easier. Um, and people would be a bit more understanding of some of the work we do. Um, because people just think, oh, you butcher trees, you know, you just take trees down. And, and it's the same with the, um, you know, the airport getting a hard time. Yes, they're an yeah. airport, they pollute. But what they're trying to do with this specific woodland is try and actually rejuvenate it. Um, and the amount of money that's getting spent on legal battles is huge. And I just think sometimes I think, you know, you could um, the amount of money that could be spent. I mean, we're talking about tens and tens and tens of yeah. thousands, if not hundreds. Uh, if you put that into planting trees, you know, you're you know, I get people have the right to protest. And that's a completely different topic for a different day. Yeah. And, and I don't get in the way of that. But when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds, when you think you put that into tree planting schemes, local schools into taking kids out and teaching them mm. to plant trees and doing some really great things in the environment, that would go so much further. And then you'd be, you could put money into a general generations of bringing people up that are going to go and understand trees and, and planting native trees and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it's something I feel strongly about. So it's actually um, <coughs> great that you've got that knowledge, David. Yeah, yeah, because it is because one of the things that is frustrating is it's actually one of the there's two reasons I stopped tree surgery. One, I didn't get into it until I was about until I was thirty. By the time I was thirty two, I, I was self employed with my brother, and I just my body was just getting battered, you know. Um, yeah, it's a young man's game. <laughs> it, it is, although there's a lot more lifts and operation uh, operating platforms now. When I when I was doing it fifteen years ago, it was just all climbing with ropes and harnesses, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah. it's it's definitely a young man's game. Um, but also, it was just customers that would argue with me, and it's just and you're trying to say that this just isn't the healthiest way for the trees. This this just isn't the right way to do. This isn't the right plant to, to you know uh, to to put in the ground. You know, yeah. You, you know, there, there's a lot of benefits to taking out big trees, but people don't um, then replant either smaller trees or anything like. Because you know you, you would know this yourself. If if you have a very large mature tree, that takes a lot of moisture out of the ground. Well, if you just take that out without replanting something, that adds moisture to the ground. And if that happens to be next to your house, well, you know, that that ground inflates with full of water and it will then potentially can upset your foundations. That's why traditionally, because I think the Victorians traditionally were probably the best or the first to start woodland management and management of trees. Um, and they understood that if you put trees in the ground, it withdrew the moisture. That's why... Traditionally, towns had so many trees, tree avenues, because the, the trees yeah. kept the ground out, and it's why they all. Ah, oh, is it? I'm trying to remember its actual its actual name. Platanus exhispanica is a scientific name. It's what's the mottled tree that takes out the pollution in the air? It's mottled. Oh, the um, well, there's limes in mm. London, the limes and the um, London plains. London plains. Yeah. yeah, and traditionally that's why they were planted in cities because they withdrew, took pollution out and now councils cut them down because they're too big and you're like, yeah, you, I don't think you understood why they, why they were planted there in the first place. Mm. You know? Yeah, they're, they're, they're tough trees to work on. I, when I worked in London <laughs> as a tree surgeon, they, you get covered in dust and soot and everything from those trees, but they, you know you're right. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one because we quite often go to price work for people and they'll be, they'll have their brand new car and they'll be like i've got this you know ancient oak tree 
can yeah. you cut that down, please? Because I don't want my card getting sap on it. And I'm like, well, just, just, you know, you have to be very polite to people because the customer's always right, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm like, you know, do you want to maybe build a carport? It'd be a lot cheaper or, or get a car cover for your car. Yeah. But I mean, not that they'd ever be able to do it because it's a it's a TPO tree and and you know that's that they wouldn't be able to do it but which is the easiest way around it when you've got a TPO tree because you say look yeah. there's no chance you're going to get this one through but you know we, we we try and influence as much as we can like you say but some people just want you know the old age saying oh I love trees but I just don't like them in my garden um, I yeah. heard that one if I had a pound for every time yeah I'd yeah heard that one. I'd never have needed to do be a tree surgeon <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Because it's exactly, interesting, isn't it? Because so. we import so much fencing and stuff like that, and people don't realise what a huge forestry industry we used to have once upon a time. But again, yeah. and it's this lack of education that the 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 most sustainable way to manage woodlands is to actually have growths, cut downs, and and sort yeah. of in different phases. And that's one of the greatest things probably about coppicing is it's normally done over a seven year phase in patches. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so, anyway, so that's that's our little chat on tree surgery <laughs> and the environment. That was amazing. It's good. Like and um, but it, again, it, but this does it in, in a way can actually swing back to mental health because it, it's you never know what's going on. And you and I have had conversations already, so it's not like this is the first time we've spoken. And you just you yeah. never know someone's background. You never know someone's life. And it's it's only through talking, as you were saying, and you know, talking brings out an education of somebody. And you get to learn about them. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, well, I just learned a load about you. So that's, um, you know, it's it's a great conversation. So, yeah. So another thing, because you talk a lot, is about books. Yes. So, which which are your favourites, or which would so you be favorite... recommended recommended? Okay, so um, the main book that changed my life is Black Box Thinking. Um, by Matthew Syed. Um, so that book I was given to um, by a guy called David who worked for me as a sales guy just before the business was going under. Um, it was about six months before and I happened to put it on the side and because I, I, I try and read about a book a week depending on the size. It, sometimes it rolls yeah. over it for a few weeks if it's a big one. Um, and I picked it up as the business was going under um, and it's all about how the um, how failure um, can be a really positive thing and how you can learn from it. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, OK, this really tragically bad thing that happened to me, you know, losing my family home, losing everything, having literally minus we we're minus two hundred thousand um, pounds. Yeah, it was it was tough. Um, and that's why I said in the last podcast, my wife was very patient. Um, to stay by me um just for everyone that knows i actually called my wife stubborn and i, I and not know, once you, not once it was uh, several yeah. times uh, and david reminded me that maybe we should use the word patient so my wife <laughs> was very patient and stayed, stayed with me and she's still with me to this day i'm very fortunate that she is has, has the patience she does um and um when i lost it all reading this book that's what helped give me the stepping stone to go okay i need to write a document now of everything that went wrong and I still review that document now and it's just a fantastic read if we could if everyone could read that book and and 
especially in the UK, certainly in America, they don't do this, but in America, they really try and pull people up and they're quite a bit more positive when things go wrong. But in UK, you know, when failure happens, it's really, everyone sees failure as negative. It's, oh, it's terrible. It's really, really negative. But actually, failing at something means learning and means growing if you treat it in the right way. If you go, hang on a minute, be accountable. What, what went wrong there? What can I do? And I mean, when I mean failure, I'm not just talking about catastrophic businesses going under 200k debt blah, blah 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 i'm talking about you know just something that didn't go wrong in your day something you know driving down the road and having a near miss in a car that those sorts of things and thinking okay what 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 happened there maybe i should look at my phone when i'm driving or something like that you know yeah um and and if we could change that stigma around failure and get a lot more people realizing that we can grow through failure rather than you know taking failure as a as a really harsh thing that happens that again would help with mental health because it would give people the right mindset when it comes to failing so yeah i have a theory on why that's different between the uk and america okay and, and that's because and it's, it's a theory and i'm sure somebody can annihilate it but yeah pre-world war one we had a very structured class system, but you were effectively looked after. Do you see okay. what I mean? Because you'd have to yeah. go and work with somebody. So we were much yeah. more looked after in, in that sense. Even if you didn't want the job, you were probably going to be made to take the job. So sure. you were very limited in your rights and where you could work and what you couldn't, could and couldn't do and what businesses you could set up. But in a weird way, there was all the, always this umbrella of protection over you. And then after World War Two, after the war, and the reason I say it is because between World War One and World War Two is basically a depression. Um, after that, we ended up with things like the National Health Service, uh, social systems and stuff like that, which again was more government support. And you still had a bit of a class system where you could go off and, you know, like the famous job for life. If your dad was in that factory, you could go to that factory. America never has never had that system, ever. Everybody that turned up into America 300 years ago, 400 years ago, they had to fight for everything they had. And they have no yeah. social systems today. They don't have things like sick pay. They don't have things like holiday pay. They don't have things like maternity pay. You don't have any of the social... They don't have free medical care. So we have had a, some, a, a form of umbrella that's always given us a level of protection. So you yeah. could actually kind of, in a sense... As long as you turned up to work, you didn't need to do anything else. In America, if you don't actually have a little bit of a, an entrepreneurial spirit, nobody's going to take care of you. And you're not going yeah, to get yeah. anywhere you're going to do anything. So, of course, they have lots more failings. People failing, recovering, failing, recovering. So they have kind of... It's, does that make sense in the two different mindsets? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and you know, they, they always talk about the American dream and, and the... the you know, yeah. you can make it, make money and, and, you know, do that kind of thing. And I suppose it is, it's all a culture and mindset thing. And, you know, I've not really thought about it in that way. So yeah, you, I think you're right there. Yeah. Cause if you, you think the American original American dream would, was a form of, was immigration where you left Europe, jumped on a boat, went to America and just kept going until you found your fortune, but it was all on you yeah. and you alone. Yeah. So, we've never had that system in in europe or the uk no no so yeah so it's a really good book so i definitely advise to 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 read that book um i've got four others i've got my top five if you're yep. yeah yeah i've been writing them down so i'll put um, it in the description yeah uh, the compound effect by um robert hardy 
um, which is a great book. Um, and that changed my way of thinking about weight loss and everything, because it's just about how you can compound day in, day out with to do with money. You know, if you just, if you were just to eat, eat a little bit less each day, you're more likely to, you know, less your calorie calories, average calories a day than just a bit more, you're going to lose weight and how that can, how can compound. Um, so that was, uh, you know, it changed my whole thought process, that book on, on how I live my life, really. Um, the, the third book is um, by a guy called Rob Moore, um, who runs a business called Progressive Property and Progressive Training. Um, most of his books, I'd advise anyone to read any of his books, but the main one is a book called Money. Um, his thing is about money and how we should be looking at money in, in a positive pit way like when people talk about rich people and you know rich people money to makes you evil and things like this yeah. you know, that's what you hear all these kind of things but you know one of the things he says is that money all that money does is amplifies the person you already were so if you were greedy and unpleasant you know you turn into a millionaire you're just going to be even <laughs> more greedy and even more unpleasant but if you're you know really good kind person and you 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 know you want to give money and be you know, to charity and things, you become a millionaire and you end up just helping charities and being a really great person. Dan so, Pina, uh, have you ever heard of Dan Pina? I haven't, though. No, he's, he's, he's a, an interesting influencer who's very aggressive and shouts and screams at young men and tells them exactly what he thinks of them. Um, but he has, uh, he made a very good point about that. He says, you want to go and save the environment, you could do a lot better job if you had some money. He says, yeah. so why don't you become a millionaire and then see the difference you can make? Well, exactly that, <laughs> you like, know. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? But he um, says you need so, money to save the planet. You want to save the yeah, world, you, make some money. You do. Yeah, you 100% do. Um, you know, and, and again, talking about, we're going back to the protesters we were talking about earlier, you know, the money they're, they're crowdfunding, they're putting into legal battles, when you think, well, actually, could you do, could you use that money to do something really good? with that many, uh, you know, clear up a place and, and it is it is frustration because frustrating because like you know like genuinely people like you and i we, we have no real skin in the game for this but you're they're spending millions fighting something and yet they could talk to any knowledgeable tree surgeon our borough culture environmentally or whatever and they'll tell you but you need to do this you're actually yeah. stopping something they need to do yeah exactly you know it's like hs2 just to sidetrack a little bit, I understand why they're protesting against that um, because they are actually taking out ancient woodlands. So it all yeah. depends that the, the it, it, you know, it, it, and that's why I wanted to be clear in this that people aren't going to go away. Yeah. Oh, he's telling us lots of protests on everything. Now, there's certain protests that you know. Oh uh, yeah, I, I don't agree with HS2 because quite simply, it was I actually thought it was an okay idea when it was going from London to Scotland and London yeah. to Manchester or London to Liverpool in one hit. But now we're putting yeah. lots of stops in it in between. Well, then that's just a train yeah. track, isn't it, mate? We've, we've got that. We've got the rail network. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, since the pandemic, it's, you know, we've, we've accelerated. Amazon and online sales and Zoom yeah. and things were growing 10% every year. Last year, they grew 10 years growth, 100% in one yeah. year. You know, people are working from home. I don't need to go and... You know, me and you're doing this now. We're both setting. We, you yeah. could be in the Bahamas, and I could be in the Caribbean. Well, it'll be nice, but you know, maybe yeah. next year. But you know, yeah. that's that. That's what what it could be happening, and and that's the way business is now. But so yeah, so that book. So for the book by Rob Moore, money. Um, it's just a very good 
book about mindset of money. Um, and it, the second book is a similar book, which is Secrets of a Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. Um, now, T. The who? Book, he, T. Harv Ecker. So Harv is spelled H-A-R-V. Um, Ecker is spelled E-K-E-R. Um, and that book is, even if you don't want to, so it's Secrets of a Millionaire Mind, even if you don't want to be a millionaire, it's not a, it's for anybody to do that wants to learn about money really because it's about your mindset to do with money and I realized my learnings through it is, is that I'm a spender and it talks about how when we're young and we're the things that some things that happened in our youth can be actually set our money blueprint for our rest of our lives so I I actually was bankrupt from the when I worked in Barclays Bank they gave me loads of loans and when I left they took them all back and and I um, ended up in loads of debt at the age of 20 years old and I went personal bankrupt yeah and then I lost my business when I was 34 so twice I've lost pretty much everything and I read this book afterwards and I suddenly realized that part of my upbringing which by the way was a great upbringing I had had this thought about money and I just wanted to spend it every time I got it I wanted to spend it um and without going into psychology of it I worked out why but reading this book made me realize that we're not just the way we are it's not you know the way I think about money and it was just I think anybody that wants to understand how their brain works and, and, and why they go and spend money and the things they do it's a great book even if you don't want to be a millionaire so don't get put off by the fact that it's yeah. secrets of a millionaire mind it's anybody that wants to talk or think about money or wants to save some more money or just wants to get them themselves in a more comfortable position um the last book is traction by gino wickman um, and this is specifically for people that run and own businesses. This is a um, a structure of how to structure a business from start to finish, um, and from the vision, the cultures, getting the right people in the right positions, the numbers, um, and it just follows. It's basically what I'm basing our biz, our four businesses on now is this book um i won't probably do everything in the book but it kind of gives you a structure and if you follow that structure then you're going to have a pretty sound business that's going to be doing the right things um to to make sure that you know the stat is uh, there's different stats i hear but most businesses fail something like 50 percent or 60 percent of businesses fail in the first five years and then the second five years the rest of the businesses fail within the next 10 years so I think it's like 10% of businesses make it after 10 years and I think that's a lot down to to not the mindset or the person but again it's people like me who didn't have education who left school went out found a profession they loved and then decided to go and run a business and realized that just working in the business day in day out doing 80 90 100 hours a week burning yourself out you know, you need to have some higher self-development and higher development to be able to structure a business. You know, I'm not saying everybody is because some people just do it and they get really yeah. wealthy and it works really well for them. But, you know, the percentages and the, the risk is there that you start a business and things go wrong. So if anyone's thinking about starting a business or in a business right now and things you think things could be better, I would read um, Traction by Gino Whitman. Cool. And I'm very conscious of your business and the fact that I know you have a meeting to go into in 20 minutes. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so I, I think that's probably a great place to, to stop. And uh, yeah, and 
thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fantastic. It's uh, great to be on here. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the David Watson podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. And for anybody with mental health, anxiety, anybody who's really struggling right now, please do reach out to somebody and, and just have that conversation. Um, there, there's lots of organisations out there. And for anybody interested in the books that John mentioned, all of the links to those books where they can be found will be in the description. And if you haven't already, please like, share and subscribe. It's really appreciated. Thank you very much.